It is February 26, 1942. It's the 14th Annual Academy Awards live at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, California. It, uh, we are honoring the best films of 1941, and it's time for the big award of the night. The envelope, please. And the winner is How Green Was My Valley? I feel like we haven't talked enough about how good you are at doing a drum roll. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Rolling my R's is one of my favorite gifts. Can you do it with my name? Rance. And you're Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was such a good way to introduce us. Way to go. Major points for you. <laughs> I feel like the Best Picture winner this year needs a question mark at the end. Don't yeah. you? Well, I mean... Like, it, just, it, it who's could afraid be a of Virginia Woolf? How who green, is afraid of Virginia Woolf? How green was my valley? <laughs> I'm not, I don't remember how green it was. I sure, it was in black and white. It sure was. It's, black and white. Uh, uh, we'll but that was a big winner this year. talking all about John Ford's uh, How Green Was My Valley. Um, but let's talk about this year. Let's talk about 1941. Let's and, and do film. it. It would help if I clicked on that tab. There we go. Yeah. Oh, he uh, is, uh, Sam is far more organized <laughs> than I am. <laughs> Only like a little bit. I just have like bullet points and like this. This is an interesting year. They're all interesting, but this one, this one's this interesting. Is, yes. This because is an of interesting year. What came out this year? Tell me. Well, lots of movies came out this year, but this is like the first year um, mm-hmm. of our award ceremony while we have now become involved in World War II. This is like our big year. Yes. Because this is. is the ceremony took place, you know, a few months after Pearl Harbor. Uh, so we're kind of seeing the huge impact of the war now on the ceremony as well. Like it was uh, I'd read that the the guests, all the film stars were told not to like wear fancy clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was now going to be referred to as like a dinner, I think, and not as a, a banquet. banquet. Yes. Uh, so Holly was trying to like play down the glamour of the evening. And you know, it's interesting. And only a, only a couple years after that, after this, do we switch to having it in a theater. Yeah. And it's not a dinner anymore, um, which is when it really starts becoming the award ceremony that we know and love. Um, but uh, Betty Davis who we'll talk about again when we talk about the movies. We are not even three minutes in, and Betty Davis has been brought up. Yes, yes, yes. This okay, is... tell me about Betty. <laughs> <laughs> I love these years because I can talk about her so much, and it's justified, Ugh. and I don't have to make apologies for doing it. You I'm don't not have just to. doing it to do it. it. Like, it's relevant. It is. She's always um, relevant. So here's the deal. Um, Betty Davis was... Very respected as an actress by this point, and she was named to be the new president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in late 1941. She resigned less than two months later um, after she made a series of suggestions of changes they could make within the Academy, including holding the awards in a theater. Um, and she suggested right after we got involved in World War II, like in really late 1941, December, she suggested that they make it not into a dinner or a banquet, but into a, um, a, an event that could be held in the theater where tickets could be sold uh, and the proceeds could go to the war effort. And I think she also wanted to have a popular film Oscar, right? Wasn't that one of her suggestions <laughs> as well? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but she wanted to eliminate broadcasting several categories. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> every category but best actress. Every every like, doesn't matter. I mean, like, but I'm on board. I'm on board. What That's are we watching really the ceremony for anyway? <laughs> um, but oh, like, God. she's like, I want to watch clips from every movie I made that Please. year. Oh man. Uh, no. Uh, those, but the changes that she suggested. Um, oh, she also thought that uh, at the time, uh, extras uh, could vote in the awards. Right, because there was a whole the film extras guild. They had yeah. their own, um, yeah, their own like um, organization. They had their own their own union. Correct. Um, was that the word you were thinking? That was. Yep. <laughs> Unions come into play with our best they uh, sure best do. picture winner. Um, and yeah, you can really see the effect of that. Because that's now it's something that's been eliminated. She didn't um, want them to be voting in the awards. That she, she didn't did. want them to be. She correct. didn't feel like she felt it should be to the real artists and craftsmen. Correct. To um, voting. However, they do play a huge part. They do play a huge part for a while. For a while, yeah. Um, but the, eventually, they are no longer allowed to vote in the correct. Academy Awards. So a lot of the changes that she suggested end up getting implemented. But they put her mainly as a figurehead, and they weren't expecting her to do anything. But come the fuck on. Yeah, Whenever like you get Betty Davis to be there, like, she's like, what do you think was going to happen? Exactly. She <laughs> probably came in day one and was just like, oh my god, speaking of, holy shit. Oh, it's not her. It's not her. That looks like Betty Davis. I have a pillow that is a combination of Frida. Um, I see Frida. And then it's uh, Joan Crawford. Oh, no. That is Betty Davis playing Frida. <laughs> Which should never be allowed. But... <laughs> no, because that would be inappropriate culturally. Yeah, that looks like her, though. Um, but it's Joan Crawford? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm confusing Joan and Betty. That's crazy. Wow. That is crazy. Betty actually probably would be flattered because she thought Joan was really pretty. It was pretty. She yeah. sure did. Um, and Joan loved Betty's performances. I wow. mean, like, they, they should have been best friends. <laughs> they were both Aries. Ooh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> From what I understand, Aries are very, like... Combative. And, do- yeah, domineering. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they're always the star of any situation. Oh, yes. Um, Center of attention. Most of what I know about Aries is from reading mm-hmm. Betty Davis. But they're also very loyal. And they can be very good friends. I mean, like, I've known some some good Aries mm-hmm. in my time. Actually, my college roommate was an Aries. There you go. Yeah. My college roommate, and still my roommate, is an Aries. And he's lovely. So there's plenty of... Well-behaved Aries out there. I uh, <laughs> I only know about the Leos. <laughs> I don't know much about Leos. That's me. That's you. Yeah, oh, Leos are wonderful. We're right? also <laughs> we're also attention whores <laughs> and, and loyal. Oh, Loyal's I'm a, a water sign, so I'm hair. just emotional. Oh, you are. Apparently, see, see, I wouldn't like if you guys knew Sam. Like, <laughs> I don't see you as emotional. I see you as That's very true. stoic. Yeah, I'm pretty even keeled. Yes. He's at, it, Sam's also very intimidating, I will say. Oh. Yeah, no, I have I found you intimidating. No way, I yeah. found you intimidating. I think that sometimes when you find a person intimidating, you, like, almost become off, come off more standoffish in front I of think them. so, I yeah. I think that's a thing. That's probably it. You know? Anyway, this is, this, this <laughs> podcast is called The Long Road to Sam and Rance Becoming Good Friends. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. We made, we're gonna make it. What am I... Mary Tyler Moore. There you yeah. go. All Thank right. goodness. It's really irrelevant. We'll get to her later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. So the We're mo- in 1941 now, though. There's a big movie we have to talk about this year, but I yes. feel like we should 
We can save we that. Save that. The, the last. We'll, yeah. we'll address the other movies that are nominated here. Yes. Um, uh, several of which I feel pretty good about talking about. The first one, I, I don't. Oh, no, me either. Blossoms in the Dust. No. Uh, that is a uh, Greer Garson uh, MGM. She made a bunch of these movies. This is the first nomination in a series of five that she's going to yeah. get. Which she and Betty Davis both hold that record of five lead actors nominations in a row. It's the most acting nominations in a row for anyone, and the two of them hold that record. Betty Davis is in the middle of her run right now. She is, and um, and Greer Garson is going to. um, This is two for five, right? This the three of five. You're right. Oh, this is her first one. This is the first of the five. She has, I think, seven. And then there's just that one extra in thirty nine for. Yes, and gotcha. then she has one much later. Gotcha. Um, yep. For playing uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she has fake teeth in that movie. I, I feel like anybody who plays Eleanor Roosevelt needs fake teeth. I know. Oh my gosh, did you know that Eleanor Roosevelt? This is just kind of. I love it. She's first lady at the time, so it's like she was still she's appropriate. Relevant. Yes, she's relevant. You know, she's a guest. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone down the "What's My Line" hole on what on Hulu. No, wait. Is it a not TV Hulu, show? YouTube. Okay. Okay. What's my line? Was this TV show that was on in the fifties and sixties, mm. um, where there's a panel of like four people that wear blindfolds. Um, well, they wear blindfolds if, for a certain segment. They have to guess through a series of yes or no questions who the person is oh, wow. that is the guest. Yes. Um, and so they do it with like normal Joes and they have to guess what that person does or something like that, I think. Okay. Um, but then they have a celebrity guest every episode and they put on blindfolds and uh, like all of the biggest names of the day did it. And they have to, and the celebrities like put on a fake voice. Oh my gosh. Like they'll do like a Southern accent or they'll do like, I saw one with Doris Day where she just sounds like a mouse. <laughs> She's just like, yes. Like that, and they have to guess through a series of yes or no questions who the person is. Oh, that's fun. Is. And there's an audience, and it's like, whatever. But Eleanor Roosevelt's on one, and the annou- the announcer guy ended up answering all the questions for her, I guess, because Eleanor Roosevelt can't do voices, and her voice is so recognizable. So recognizable. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> what's my line on YouTube? It's Check really it out. It's really fun. Uh, so I don't know much about Boston's in the Dust, other than it's a Greer Garson movie. Is that it? I think it's in Technicolor. Um... <laughs> I just remember for some reason it's in color. So that's uh uh yeah, that's pretty much um that's that one. Next we have Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Um this also got a couple of acting nominations. I don't know anything about it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Is it really? Okay, um, wonderful. Uh Here Comes Mr. Jordan uh was remade in the seventies as uh having Ken Wait. Oh, right. This is the original version of it. Beatty. Warren Beatty. One of his first, like, yeah. Julie Christie. Yes. And what's it? James Mason. James Mason, yes. Um, And uh, then it was remade again with Chris Rock. Yes. Um, Um, Down to Earth. Is that that what it's called? I don't know. That sounds like. I must say, I, I didn't see it. You know, I feel like it's really very important <laughs> that very we important get piece, this correct. Piece of cinema. Because... Uh, Down to Earth. That would make sense. So the play was Heaven Can Wait. Interestingly, in 1943, there is a movie called Heaven Can Wait. Mm. Um, and, uh, excuse me, and that movie 
um, is completely unconnected, but also has to do with somebody entering the afterlife. What this movie is about, um, the remake was called Down to Earth, yeah. Yep, right. there you go. There was also a sequel called Down to Earth to the original. Oh, wow. Uh, here Comes Mr. Jordan. Anyway, Here Comes Mr. Jordan <laughs> uh, stars uh, Robert Montgomery, mm-hmm. father of Elizabeth Montgomery, if anyone watched Bewitched. <laughs> um, and I did not. Uh, he, oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> it was, she twitched her nose. It was, oh, man. It was so good. Nicole Kidman I was, was in the Nicole movie. Kidman, right? <laughs> Bless her. Um, Nicole Kidman calls it her favorite TV show and her 73 questions from Vogue, by the way. I don't know if you watch 73 questions. I love the 73 questions. Did you see Olivia Coleman's? Yes. So oh my God. It was good. so good. What oh. if they had a 73 questions back then? Oh my God. I would watch them. It's like Betty Davis, all. like around her, like, pl- I almost said plantation. <laughs> yikes. 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 Her farm. Yeah, her farm in England. New England. New England. There we go. <laughs> um, Catherine Hepburn, just in pants. Oh, just man. Like... She like, doesn't show up. They're like, they knock on the door, and she's not even there. Like, oh, I guess she's not doing it. <laughs> so Robert Montgomery, uh, he's, uh, he's like a boxer, and he dies. Mm. Um, and he goes to heaven, and it turns out he wasn't supposed to die yet. It was a mistake. Um, so they, So Claude Rains brings him, is like... Uh, he's not, he's like an angel, okay? Mm, right. And he comes back, he brings him back down to earth and finds another body for him to go into. Right. Of someone who was supposed to be dying then, but is now not going to die, and he's going to take over that person's life. Gotcha. Okay? Um, so he does that and turns this, like, rich businessman into a fighter as well, which confuses the hell out of the entire family. Yes, And his wife's trying to kill him. He ends up falling in love with um, another girl Played by Evelyn Keys, who plays one of the sisters in *Gone with the Wind*. Sure. Um, and uh, Claude Rains is like so good. Why was James Gleason nominated for supporting actor then, and not Claude Rains? Uh, because it's inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> who James, James Gleason? James who is Gleason, he in it? He's like the. He was like the. I guess the trainer or whatever for oh, well, they the five is getting nominated though. Yeah, like Burgess Meredith. He was and Rocky. he was like Burgess Meredith and gotcha. Rocky. Yep, yep. Uh, they always get the nomination. He's like the original Burgess Meredith and Rocky, basically. Gotcha. And and so he has he's like a little guy with like that tough voice. Oh, sure. And he's great. Um, mm-hmm. I just like Claude Rains is always amazing. Always phenomenal. And anyway, so that's like the basic setup of the story. Okay. It's really good. It's really sentimental. It's really funny. Love it. Um, I think the 70s version's funnier, but this one's, like, sweeter. I don't know. Sure. More Um, sentimental. Anyway, it's a great little movie. I highly recommend it. Love that. Okay, what do we have next? We have... Here we go. Hold Back the Dawn. I've also seen this. Uh, I haven't, and I really want to. I almost watched it last night. Did you know that I almost did? Did I know Um, that? No, I didn't know that. You never know. You never know. (laughs) We're We're not quite there yet. Uh, I have to, I really want to. Yeah. This was the movie Olivia de Havilland was nominated for Best Actress for this year. We'll get into that fiasco in a little bit. What is it about? Uh, I don't remember it that <laughs> like, well. I can't remember it. I saw thing. it years ago. Um, it's like, uh, I, I don't know, It's there's four people. Is she a teacher? She's a school teacher. Yes, she's okay. a school yes. teacher. I'm trying to remember who the other, there's four actors in that. Oh yeah, Paulette Goddard's in that. Charles Boyer yes. is in it, and uh, like the the Wikipedia definition of the movie is a Romer- a Romanian gigolo 
marries an American woman in Mexico in order to gain entry into the United States, but winds up falling in love with her. Right. Um, and it's a Billy... Topical. It's a green card movie. It's a green card movie. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Wilder did the screenplay. That's right. That I knew. Yeah. Billy Wilder did the screenplay, which is another reason why I really want to see it. Yeah. It's not like... It's it's not as, as good as the top movies in this category, but like... Is she phenomenal in it, though? She's really, really good. Yeah. It is not... I mean, like, whenever you're talking about Olivia de Havilland, you you compare every single performance... To the heiress. To the heiress, right. which is one of the best performances of all time. <laughs> of all time. Um, yes, so, uh, so it's... How about in comparison to To Each His Own? Uh, I think it's a more enjoyable movie than To Each His Own. Okay. So the film I, itself is Again, I don't remember it that well, but I remember enjoying it more than okay. To Each His Own. But To Each His Own, I think... Is she has to age in that movie. Yes. Which is, I think, a big reason why that... She, yes. She looks pretty dowdy in most of the film. She does. And she starts as, like, 20 mm-hmm. and ends up being, like, I don't know... In, like, her 50s or something, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, then we have, speaking of great performances... Oh, yes. The Little Foxes. Here we go. Which is uh, actually my favorite Betty Davis performance. Yeah. Uh, yes. Counting all about Eve out of this, because that's just in a, you know... It's in a class on its a own. A class on its own. Out of her runs for Best Actress from, you know, 1930... Yeah, the 30s and 40s, yeah. Up to, like, what, 42, 43? Yeah. When she's the last one. This is my favorite of hers. Of, like, classic Betty, like, Warner Brothers Betty. This is... Although it's interestingly... She was loaned out for this one. It's one of only two times. Isn't that wild? While she was under contract to Warner... She was under contract to Warner Brothers for 18 years. They only loaned her out twice. Yes. Once for a movie we've already talked about of human bondage. Yep. And two, which was RKO. Mm-hmm. And then again to RKO uh, for The Little Foxes, which is uh, because William Wyler, the director of the movie, wanted her. Wanted her. For The Little Foxes. And it makes sense. This is such a good movie, and she is phenomenal in Apparently it. Apparently, her and William Wyler were really divided on how to play this. Yes, though. because he wanted her to be more sympathetic, like the Tula the Bankhead version, which was on Broadway. And Betty wanted her to be kind of more she sadistic. She wanted to be harder and because not sympathetic. What's so great is um, she plays this, this conniving sister trying to screw her brothers out of money. Um, it's and, like turn of the century. It's yes. like ni- 1900 yeah. yeah. So she, you know, she's dressed up in all these you know heavily corseted gowns. She's always done up. But she worked closely with the makeup department. She wanted her character, Regina, to have this kind of like ghostly white face because she wanted to look a little scary and, and she's supposed to be she has a te- she has a teenage daughter in this right so she needs to look she needed older. to look older than she actually was yes. she was in her early 30s and she's playing definitely like later 30s, she's playing yeah. It, yeah. maybe even early maybe 40s. even 40 yeah, yeah. Uh, and William Wyler did not like it. He mm-hmm. wanted her to, you know, to, he wanted her to have more humanity, essentially. But I feel like this is just Betty Davis's like chance to finally play just this bitch that a lot of people thought she, you know, played a lot of. You know, think of, people think of Betty but Davis. They think of this very like, this oh, bitchy so woman. Old. Yes, but this it's like it's all done like behind the scenes, and she's wonderful. It's also movie. like the antithesis. Man, I love it when I use big mm. word. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. Antithesis. Antithesis. Of, uh, you know, you think of the mannered uh, kind of um, Betty Davis stereotypes. Yes. Um, with the cigarettes and with the, yes. with the more bombastic expression and yes. whatever. Which is really more her very early and later career. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like her, she's so controlled mm-hmm. in this movie. There's a scene, this is a huge spoiler. Spoil away. (laughs) 
um, there's a scene where her sickly husband, um, who she wants to die so that she can get control of his shares of the of the money the money <laughs> it's like the MacGuffin it's not important right it is important um and so she wants to get control of his money and so him dying would be helpful because he doesn't want to do the things she wants to do ruthlessly in business um and so he has his heart medication and he has to take it or otherwise he's basically going to die. Um, and uh, he has an attack while they're talking and he knocks over the medication by mistake. And there's another bottle upstairs. Uh-huh. And Betty sits and does not move. And when he realizes what's happening, he start, he gets out of his wheelchair uh-huh. and starts trying to go up the stairs himself. And he's in the background Struggling. going up the stairs struggling up the stairs and Betty is in the foreground sitting. <laughs> Siri's very confused. Apparently if you Siri heard Siri you, apparently <laughs> Siri thought you said Siri. No. Go ahead. Sorry. And she's not moving in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Um her eyes just like freeze. Yes. She's it's like she's not seeing where she's listening. She's trying to listen blinking. for him to stop breathing because she's like, I will only go over to him when I think he's passed out. Yes. And when he finally passes out on the stairs, she waits a couple beats mm-hmm. and then she calls for help. Yes. It's just like such a brilliant. It's amazing. And like moments before that, she has a line where she says, I hope you die. I hope you die soon. I'll be waiting for you to die. Uh, <laughs> it's just so, oh man, it is, it is, oh man, she's so, so good. good. She's ruthless in this movie. And I love that, like, (laughs) Teresa Wright, it's her film debut. Mm -hmm. Um, She plays her daughter Mm -hmm. in the movie. She was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Next year, she's going to get two nominations. Um, Yes, she will. Which we'll get to talk about her because she's in Mrs. Miniver, which is a Best Picture winner. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Teresa Wright plays her daughter, and she has, like, a little bit of a soft spot for her. It's, like, the only bit of humanity you see in the movie. But, um, also spoiler, the daughter ends up running off with the guy she's in love with at the end of the movie, and Betty Davis ends up alone, and, like, the last shot of this movie is this extreme close-up of her getting everything financially she wanted, but she's alone. Yep. And it's this extreme close-up through a window of her face. Yes. And it's just, like, it's divine. It's wonderful. And it should also be mentioned as well that this movie received two, um, nominations for supporting actress, Therese Wright, one of them, and then Patricia Collins was the other one. And she is wonderful. She's wonderful in this movie. She is the right kind of, like, just... She's married to one of the brothers. Mentally broken down. Yeah, and he just, like, oh, he just cuts her every single time. He just, he has, like, no respect for her, and she's just lost all sense of reality and she it's so tragic she gives the most tragic performance in this movie birdie birdie's her name birdie yes yeah. um yeah and he like he's abusive towards so her abusive and, and she like is kind of annoying but in like a tragic way in like a way where she has no idea who she is anymore she's yeah. been broken down so many times that she's just trying to like you know establish any kind of connection with somebody that will talk to her mm-hmm. uh, and it comes across as very annoying but you see behind this that she's just fighting to find who she is again and it's phenomenal and she's one of the only crossovers from the Broadway version into this movie and you can see why they needed her she does this part so well yeah there there was only like two I think Teresa Wright may have been one of the other ones I'm not confident on that there were a couple of guys who were also crossover Um, uh, 
I a few of the men were. Yeah, I'm not. Con- yeah, there there are a couple people, but Betty Davis was not. No, uh, part of it. Uh, Although William Wyler had her go and watch uh, Tula the Bank and do it on Broadway, and she's like, I don't want to, but she did, and she was like, Well, I'm doing no. this differently. No, uh, Teresa Wright was not in it. She was not. She was not. There I you go. lied. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is a phenomenal movie. Deserves its spot for best picture. Definitely beautiful. Uh, we'll again, Greg Tolan. Yes, does the cinematography, and it makes and perfect sense. We're going to be talking a little bit more about him very soon because he, sure he didn't do just one movie that year. He uh, he did quite a few. He did <clears throat> he did the cinematography for something that's maybe a little bit more uh, famous. <laughs> just a tad. Um, Before that, though, we also had the Maltese Falcon nominated for best picture, which is another top one hundred all time great movie. And I'm so embarrassed; I have not seen this movie. Okay, I've only seen it once, and I was in high school, so gotcha. it's it's. I remember the significant parts of it. Um, I mean, it's basically a movie about these, uh, like he's um, uh, Humphrey Bogart's investigating yeah. uh, a crime, and all these people are uh, trying to find this Maltese Falcon, which is like this great treasure right um and people would kill for it you know that's the big and idea they do <laughs> and uh and mary astor <clears throat> plays the femme fatale mm-hmm. and mary astor's great in everything if everything. you don't know who and she could play so many different types of parts and then um it has one of the great it's the last line of the movie um one of the great lines of all time which is uh somebody asks this is a minor spoiler. Mm-hmm. Someone asks what the Maltese Falcon is, and and Humphrey Bogart goes. Apparently, this is an ad lib too. He goes, uh, "Oh, the uh, stuff that dreams are made of." That's right. Yeah. It's and then dream. actually, the last line is the guy goes, "Huh?" Fade to black. And this uh, is I've heard this is like a, the definitive like Humphrey Bogart performance. It's kind of what it catapulted also, him to superstardom. Yes. And it kind of like defined the the range of roles that he then played from here on out. That very like curmudgeon investigator, like weary ridden guy. You know, it, this role fit his type. It also started the whole film noir movement. Right. Yes, um, absolutely. This is there's different mm-hmm. movies they point to, but typically people people look at this movie and they say this is the start. Definitely. Um with the very the, dark with the dark themes, the detective, mm-hmm. the um, the lighting, the shadows, the lighting and the shadows, the and femme fatale, the, the murder, the femme yes, fatale, all definitely. of those things. It also is the first movie for an actor named Sidney Greenstreet who is a big big fat dude. Uh-huh. Um I think it's fine to call him that because that's how he probably described himself. Sure. Um, who ends up, a lot of the people in this movie end up being in Casablanca the next year because yes. Peter Laurie, Laurie's in this movie. Sidney Greenstreet is in Casablanca. Um, so this ends up, funny, Casablanca's only made a year after this but it doesn't win Best Picture for two years but we'll talk about that. <laughs> it was shelved. Um, anyway, I don't know anything about One Foot in Heaven. Not a thing. Um, I'm assuming... It has something to do with heaven. Um, uh, and one foot. It has... It's like it's like that uh, Daniel Day-Lewis movie. You know, <laughs> my left foot. Oh, uh, where was his right foot? It was in heaven. It was in heaven. Um, <laughs> but it has it. Frederick March, who I like. And it has Martha oh, Scott good. from coming, coming from our, our town. Oh. So, I mean, like... Okay, we'll work. I mean, like, maybe I would... Uh, 
it was on, I'd watch it. I'm one hundred percent. I uh, it's just a, it's like the least known movie we've found in a while. I feel definitely. And then we had Sergeant York up for picture. This was a big movie that year. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen this one. I either. haven't either. Uh, but Gary Cooper won Best Actor for this film, and yet again, Walter Brennan was nominated for Supporting Actor. He already won three at this point. This was now this could have been his fourth win. He didn't win, but. I digress. So close to tying the four-time record. So close. No. Um, Howard Hawks. Yes. Uh, famous director of many movies, and this is Warner Brothers, so of course Max Steiner did the score. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was John Huston worked on the screenplay. Like, this was, this has a lot of, this has a pedigree. A lot of, yeah, a lot. Um, and then our final nominee for Best Picture was <laughs> Suspicion, another Hitchcock film starring Joan Fontaine. I feel like I... My ill will towards suspicion is largely just based on these Academy nominations. Oh no, it's definitely based on the fact that it's a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's not a good movie. Oh god, um, I don't, I don't dislike it until the end. Oh man, um, yeah, the ending is pretty horrible. It's it. Oh man, it's like everything that Rebecca did right, suspicion does wrong. It's a very okay. It's basically very similar. It's the first movie he made with Cary Grant, which is significant. They made mm. four movies together. Alfred Hitchcock directed it. Uh, it's one of his follow-ups to Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, Cary Grant, who marries an heiress, mm-hmm. uh, played by Joan Fontaine. And uh, it, she begins to believe... She becomes suspicious. Uh, 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 <laughs> that he might be trying to kill her. Correct. To get her money. Yes. That's that's the whole plot. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not scary at all. To me, it has none of the style that Hitchcock puts in his movies. There's there's just no tension. It's It, it doesn't draw you in anywhere. And the ending is just so ridiculous. And Joan Fontaine is so over the top in this movie. She is. I can't handle it. It's so much. That's honestly my biggest problem with the yes, movie. I feel like her. Joan Fontaine is very, very over the top. She like she faints like every 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> and she's like, oh I can't handle it. She just faints. It's and, and then she'll wake up and it's like, what happened? It's yeah, it's the only thing that is really, I think, of significance in this movie is there is a scene where there's a glass of milk that might be poisoned. Right. And <clears throat> Should she drink it? Should she not drink it? Yes. There is that moment of suspense. Sure. Cary Grant takes it up on a plate up the stairs to mm-hmm. her bedroom, and uh, it looks to be glowing because there is a light bulb inside of the... Correct. He put a light inside of the milk to make it glow, which is the most Hitchcockian mm. element, element. The movie might have been better had they had the ending they wanted to have spoiler Cary Grant was initially supposed to kill Joan Fontaine oh and I'm all for that and the studio wouldn't let Cary Grant be a murderer go figure right yeah Uh, that's something that we're gonna be talking about quite a bit these studio executives really put a hindrance on a lot of movies uh, because they really had a lot of control. They had a they lot of did, say in what they, actually went into theaters. And the censors, unfortunately, yeah. it really does, um, you know, take away from what a lot of these movies could have been. But I'll go ahead and call bullshit on Joan Fontaine winning Best Actress. And I will call bullshit on it getting us Best Picture nominee. <laughs> the hell? Yeah, both of those no are sense. both of those are big bullshitters. <laughs> yeah, for me, and I 
I mean, like, I can, I'm looking at the Best Actress nominees. Yeah, let's get into it. I haven't seen Greer Garson's Blossom in the Dust. I mm. have seen Barbara Stanwyck in Ball of Fire. Um, it's weird to me, because Barbara Stanwyck also made a movie called The Lady Eve this year. Right. Um, which I feel that... They're kind of similar performances, Ball of Fire and The Lady Eve. Um, but uh, I feel like The Lady Eve is the more difficult performance, so I'm surprised <clears throat> that isn't what she was nominated for. Sure. Because they're both comedies. But uh, Ball of Fire is also a great movie, but it's not... She has The, the movie that she should have won for, won for is coming up. Right. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, but this is, this is where Betty should have won her third Oscar. Yes. That's all I really... <clears throat> And this is where it should have happened. And this is where we have... This is one of the most interesting... Best. Joan Fontaine won an, a, a makeup Oscar for Rebecca. Exactly. And she was like the new shiny actress. You know, she was in Rebecca. the huge movie. And now she has a very similar role. Let's give her an Oscar for this film. But this is where we have the two sisters. So Joan Fontaine and Olivia de Havilland, sisters, uh-huh. both nominated this year. Um, and that's where the epic showdown really came from. It was which sister is going to win. And Joan Fontaine and Olivia, uh, Joan took, I believe, their stepfather's last name. So mm, there goes. Um, she just wanted to be different, so she was, so she couldn't be. She wasn't and it's Joan interesting Hamlin. because, like, you know, you if you watch interviews on either of them talking about each other, according to Olivia De Havilland, there really wasn't a huge feud between them. You know, but Joan Fontaine in her autobiography. But then you ask Joan Fontaine, and she really gets into it. She does really paint this picture of, you know, her sister being this dragon lady, and they always write each other's throats and all this stuff. And That's what she called her. She mm-hmm. called her dragon lady. Isn't that funny? Yikes. Yeah. Um, so there's this huge history. Huge feuding history between the two of them, um, which also plays in part for last year for Rebecca. Um, Olivia de Havilland was also up for the role of... Um, she was the second Mrs. De Winters, so there's already that kind also of also would have been a good choice. For she that would have probably yeah. a better choice. I personally, I feel like Olivia de Havilland is the Fontaine better actress. Has a more waif-like yes appearance. So I, mean, I it's do just very like yes ethereal kind of. You I know? mean, like it's honestly, just... the best thing Joan Fontaine ever did is Rebecca. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely, and that's why I think they rewarded her with an Oscar for Suspicion, a very similar performance. But um, not just one year later. But, but not, not deserving. Not good. But not. Um, I mean, like, but Rebecca, she's good. Yes, it works in Rebecca. Yeah, maybe because she's supported by Laurence Olivier, who is just and the material actor. is a lot better. The material is a lot better. I You're feel right. Like that's... The writing and suspicion is where the, the big problem is. It just adds up to a whole lot of nothing. It really does. But so the that was thing where this, is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Olivia, Olivia, and Joan were only like a year apart in age. And so Joan Fontaine is a little bit younger, like a year and a few months younger mm-hmm. than Olivia. Um, and uh, Joan lived a long time. She was like 96 or 97 when she died. Um, Olivia is still alive. <laughs> knocking on all the wood. Still She's kicking. 103. Three. <laughs> yes. Damn, um, girl. And she uh, she's over living in Paris, France, living her best life. That's where I would go. And um, well, she married a Frenchman. You know? Oh right. And then she moved to France. She's like, Get me out of Hollywood. And she's lived there longer than she's lived any, her anywhere in her entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like over half her life has been in France. But uh, Olivia um, uh, was. <laughs> trying to become a respected actress at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was only a couple years... We'll talk really in depth about the impact her 
court case had later. Yes. Um, but she was apparently quiet. They were both... Joan was apparently almost mortified that she beat Olivia. Yes. To winning. She was so scared. Well, they said, like, too, when they announced her name, Joan Fontaine kind of just stayed frozen in her seat until Olivia Havlin came over and told her to get up on stage. And was like <laughs> saying, it's okay. Go accept your award, you know? And, and you know Olivia. Like, we've... we've you know, Olivia was thinking, like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, she was so I'm mad. so much better than her. And she's also probably <laughs> still angry for losing, you know, in Gone with the Wind. But I will say this. I do think a lot of this feud and rivalry between these two actresses was really developed by the media and all these gossip columnists like Hedda Hopper and yeah. uh, Luella Parsons. I really think they were fueling a lot of it um, just because it was, you yeah. know, good uh, stories. And... It see there are pictures of them together mm. at this period. Yes, um, there is one amazing photo that I'm not going to address until we get to 1946. That's fair. Um, that definitely shows a feud in existence for sure. And I'm not saying there wasn't any kind of like rivalry, but I think a lot of it was really built up yeah. in the gossip columns. Not only you know further promote their films, but kind of make the Oscars a bit more interesting, too. Uh, there was an interview with Joan Fontaine about the feud that came out right after she died a few years ago. Oh. And she talks <sighs> about it. She talks about it extensively in her autobiography, by the by. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of them not talking for a while came from after Joan published the book. Definitely. And kind of aired some dirty laundry. But Joan does say in this interview from the 2000s, you know, like 2010 or something, um, that, uh, like, he, the interviewer asked if they talk, and, they, and she was like, oh, yeah, we still talk. Of course, we're sisters. Right. You know, it's something, something like that. Yeah. And, like, of course they and Olivia do. released a statement and about also, mourning course, when she died. But you got to think about it as well. It's like, these are two very, you know, um, headstrong, driven women in an industry dominated by men, of course they're going to work going head really, to really head. Hard. Going head to head for roles. Of course there's going to be a and little bit of a the same category. It, but like, yeah, yeah the rivalry only really exists because they were both leading ladies, you know, who happened to be sisters, which made it all the more fascinating. But yeah. I mean, every single leading actress was competing with one another during this time to get these great roles. Yeah. You know? They're just the... Uh, they're fun. But it's it's fascinating. I <laughs> love it. Uh, it's so fascinating. But, you know, regardless, Betty Davis still gives the best performance by an actress that year. Okay, so the other movie nominated that we haven't discussed. Right. So we have our final two for best picture now. Um, and it really came down to these these two movies. It, it does come down to these two movies. Citizen Kane mm-hmm. is considered to be, by the American Film Institute, um... Until recently, uh, by the Sight and Sound poll, which recently, I think they made it Vertigo the last time around. Um, but, okay. or at least there's like a critics poll and there's a director's sure. poll and one of them was Vertigo, one of them was People Citizen love Kane. Vertigo and I don't really understand that. That's a conversation for I another like time. I like Vertigo. I don't <laughs> love Vertigo. Sure. Um, I, uh, I have problems with the plot. Like I find Yes, it, me too. The fact that it's boring. It's convoluted. Yes. It doesn't make any sense. But I do appreciate aspects of the sure. film. There are films, um, but Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is 
brilliant. Brilliant. It holds up really well, mm-hmm. and it is so modern in the way it is told. Yes. And the cinematography and the way transitions are handled, the way mm-hmm. the story flows, it's just like... It's magic on screen. It really is. It and is. then people really thought it was Orson Welles doing a magic trick because he was doing things in film that nobody had ever done before. And he, he wasn't was, doing it with a big budget. He was just... No, he was just playing around. You yeah. know, this, he was doing what he had been doing since he was a kid. He, Orson Welles was fascinated with magic and he thought by becoming an actor and the way he could transform his face was magic for him. He does a very good makeup in the movie. He, he, he does. ages very well. He is a phenomenal actor. I mean, not just... You know, he produced the film. He wrote the film. He, wait, did he produce it? No, no, he didn't. I'm lying. Uh, yeah, he did. He or, produced. He, yeah, because his company did Mercury Players. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had. They had so a deal with RKO. Yes, his hand is in this movie everywhere, and it's so good. But you can't separate Citizen Kane from what it is talking about because the reason Citizen Kane probably doesn't win Best Picture, mm-hmm. the reason why it doesn't make as much money mm-hmm. as it probably would have today, yeah, it today or even in that day is because the movie is a very thinly veiled uh, version of William Randolph Hearst's life. Correct, yes. And and William Randolph Hearst owned a large swath of newspapers. Oh, yes. He had a media empire. And And a lot of these newspapers were reviewing movies. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like he... And since William Randolph Hearst had such a pull with all of his newspapers and uh, publications, mm-hmm. he basically told them, he was like, and with we the are industry. not going to review, yeah, we're not going to review your film. We, um, If you put it into these big theaters, we are going to release all of these articles, basically, uh, you know, exposing these uh, studio yeah. heads and these uh, playhouse heads and stuff. Like, he was, he wanted it to just not see he, the light of day. He... He caught wind it was about him, and he mm-hmm. wanted it suppressed. Even though Orson Welles always claimed it had nothing, it was not based on him. Which but of course it's like, it was. Of course like, it was. Uh, it's a load of crap because yes. I mean, it's so obviously about him. There's even like a version of Hearst Castle in the movie. Zan- oh yeah, Xanadu. Xanadu. Not Xanadu. to be confused. <laughs> like, I know it's that. not to be confused. With the cult film. Oh, man. Um, no Olivia Newton-John here. No Olivia Newton-John. Um, but it's a phenomenal movie. And I will say, I'm a little shocked that it didn't get more acting nominations. Um, yeah, it's I, interesting. I could have seen a supporting actress bid for his wife in the movie. I think she's great in the movie. Uh, even a supporting actor bid for Walter Pigeon, maybe, even, as well. It's just, it's kind of, um, it's a little... Um, it's a little surprising, but it's like such the Orson Welles show, I guess, that they... It really but is. also, like, Joseph Cotton could have gotten nominated Joseph for Co- this. That's what I meant. Joseph Cotton, not Walter Oh, Pigeon. you meant Joseph Cotton. Yes. Yes. I was like, in my head, I was like, who does Walter Pigeon play? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not in it. He's not in it. Joseph um, Cotton, but, yes. He's great in the movie. Uh, it's it's a great... It's a... It's... it's. I mean, like, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane... Uh, and I will say, too, I, I, when I watched it the first time, I was kind of like, okay, it's good. It is one of those movies that gets better every time you watch it. It's because 100%. you're seeing and you're understanding more things the more you watch it. It really does benefit from it's repeat so viewing. It's so layered. And it's so, so interesting. Um, and it's the best 
it's fun. Orson Welles is considered one of the great filmmakers of all time, but this is his first film, and this is his best. He yeah. never gets better than this. Absolutely. And the reason behind this is because the studio really gave him full license and leeway full to do control. whatever he wanted. And there's a lot of controversy <laughs> when his next movie is The Magnif- Magnificent Ambersons. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of controversy with that movie because the, his cut doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Because the, the studio, studio took over, and you can really kind of see why. Yeah. Um, but Citizen King was up against How Green Was My Valley. And since, and when this, when it was released, it was largely suppressed. So it got these, it got probably a lot more nominations than maybe people were even expecting just because of how little seen it was because of how it was repressed. Mm. But, so I guess it's understandable that this wouldn't win Best Picture. You, yes. under, It's not like this was a great travesty because it people was really, seen it. people didn't see it. Yeah. And or people were afraid of Hearst or whatever the exactly or whatever yeah. the case may be but. or afraid of like being tied to Orson Welles because Orson Welles is also uh, very outspoken especially against studio heads he referred to them as overpaid schoolboys yeah uh, so he was you know a very he wasn't of, making friends no he was kind of an unpopular person in Hollywood so so it makes sense why it didn't win more but since the I don't know, like, within, like, uh, by the time the sight and sound poll started happening, I think in the 50s, it, it started getting Well, because it got attention. a re-release in the 50s, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people, Were like, and then oh, the film schools started, and film schools discovered it, it and yes. studied it, and uh, obviously it is now, yeah. is now It's recognized as the, you know, work of art that it really is. It's quite literally called by many people the greatest movie ever made. So you should watch that and find out why. Absolutely. But watch it more than once, trust me. Definitely, yes. Uh, now let's get to the Best Picture winner of the year. How Green Was My Valley. It took us a while. We got there. Yeah. <laughs> we got there. Uh, um, another John Ford movie. His about third. A, yeah, about a Welsh win. mining town. The only movie he won that... He, the only movie he directed that won Best Picture. True. And he was nominated for... And he won four Best Director Oscars, but only one of those was for a Best Picture, which is kind of unusual. Very unusual, Like yeah. William Wyler, by contrast, has three, and all, all three of them. Best Picture yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, this was kind of one they really stood behind. Um, uh, and it, I feel like this is probably his uh, most personal film. This and The Quiet Man, I feel like, are his most mm-hmm. personal movies. It's so funny, he's known for these westerns. Yeah. But the ones that are the most personal and the ones that... Um, are these, like, Irish kind of Welsh, like, yeah. set movies. Yeah. Yes. This one is, it's a very sweet movie. Yeah. Um, it's uh, about a Welsh mining family in mm-hmm. a town uh, during the, I guess, the union um, disputes and battles uh, for all of these... Um, mining workers focusing on the young boy. Yes, so it's all about this family, and it's um, right now. Yeah, kind of told a narrative uh, or a flashback where he's thinking back on his town now that he's a grown up and kind of what put him to where he is today. And somebody else does the voice of the of the adult of the adult. But we spend the we spend the the movie uh, it. It's like Roddy McDowell. Is yep, he plays the, the young version of he's, he's the youngest child in this family of like oh my god seven or eight of like a gazillion children. Yes, and, <laughs> and it just goes through their life. Uh, it's very ep- episodic. Very episodic. Yeah, there's no real I guess plot other than you're just following his family during this kind of changing of the times. And you see the influence these events have on mm-hmm. the boy, 
and the family. Yep, absolutely. Um, through his eyes. And it starred uh, Sarah Allgood and Donald Chris play the uh, mother and father of this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are very good in the movie. And Donald Chris especially is phenomenal in this movie. But Walter Pigeon is in this film. Walter Pigeon is in this movie. There we go. <laughs> yes, he is. He plays the priest who falls in love with one of the daughters uh, who, of the family. Which is, this is an early film for Maureen O'Hara. Yes. And who she's, she, yeah, she's becomes a major star. Major star, yes. Uh, at Fox, and she works a lot with John Ford as mm-hmm. well, which there is You'll a see her in The Quiet Man later, too. Other John Ford, Maureen O'Hara, like he was obsessed with her. Interesting. Um, and I get it. She's beautiful. I she is. But her first American film was uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, uh, sure. And uh, or American released movie. I don't. Yeah. No, I think that was filmed here. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I think so. I think so. There's a lot of British people in it. Anyway, and she's an Irish. She's probably, she's probably the most famous historically. Historically speaking, she's probably the most famous Irish actress. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. I have two friends of mine right now are visiting Ireland. Um, and, they, and like, they're big movie fans. And yeah. so she, like, their trip has been, like, there's apparently a Maureen O'Hara museum they went oh, to. Oh, jeez. And then they went to all the filming locations that still exist for The Quiet Man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that would be the, the trip of a lifetime for them. I mean, yeah. That's wild. This movie did not film across seas, however. No. Hungry in my valley, since we were in the thick of World War II. Couldn't film over there. Could not film over there. They uh, recreated this Welsh mining town using 90 acres in the Santa Monica Mountains over by Malibu. Yeah. And uh, I, I have to say, this is one of the most impressive sets. Definitely. It's amazing. It's I mean, amazing. the, yeah, the town weird. itself is a character in itself, too. You know, you're watching these people grow up around these buildings, and the mind, too, has a mind of its own. Like, every time they hear the whistle, they know something bad has happened. Yeah. Uh, which comes into play in the very end when there's a huge explosion. Um, and they're all just kind of living in fear of hearing that whistle because, you know, trouble is coming. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but it's a really, really good movie. It's very touching, very sweet, sometimes a little a little melodramatic for my taste. Um a little drawn out. Yeah, but it does get that way. It does, um, but it's it's it is very sweet. It is very and very good. It is good. well made. Very well made. And it's, it's I like and the main performances are all very yes. solid. But I will say it just doesn't carry the weight or the importance that Citizen Kane does. Which is interesting because this movie is tackling something that is um, you know, like these poor people um and it feels like this should be more important because of the subject it's tackling. Definitely, these uh, uh, definitely overlooked um, workers fighting for equal pay and um, jobs. Because that know. is timely. Very you timely. Know. You know, I mean, that's what it's a big thing in the movie is some of them actually fight for unions, some of them do not, and those who do uh, who do end up fighting for them get fired, and they. No jobs, you know. And it's it like a divide in the family. Huge too, divide in the family. Because the father's on one side mm-hmm. and the kids are on another side. And the kids end up leaving. So, yeah, yeah it really does divide this uh, family and kind of tears them apart. You know what my actual favorite thing about this movie is? Do tell. Um, Was it her veil? There's a really <laughs> there's a really great shot with the wind catching uh, Maureen O'Hara's veil. Her veil is but fluttering away. My favorite thing that happens is there's a shot of her, like, waving... Uh, I think goodbye. 
Oh, uh, yeah. It's a really big... A way. very big goodbye, yes. But, like, that shot ended up in, like, every in memoriam. Oh, uh, of course it did. For her when she died, because, yeah. I mean, like... I mean, she looks beautiful. I, she does. She so. is really pretty. I am really... I You know, I recently rewatched The Parent Trap. Oh! <laughs> you know, she plays the mom in The like, Parent you, Trap. You watch it, like, every night secretly. Secretly. I mean, I do really like Haley Mills. Um, (laughs) yeah, she's great. Uh, but, but like, she's such a delightful little, and Miracle on 34th Street, you know? Yeah. You know, she's, she's a delightful presence. She's delightful. I feel like I need to do a deeper dive past those ones that we know about and. Look at her, yeah, more second tier films. I've seen this and The Quiet Man and Hunchback and Parent Trap and Miracle on 34th Street and I don't think I've seen anything. Beyond those, so one day. But I think this movie it makes sense why it wins Best Picture with John Ford behind it. It's epic. It's an epic, uh, based on a book again. Huge a cast, very popular book, huge cast, and also it, it had the most nominations that year. It was the highest grossing film of the year. Yeah. So uh, you know these are very common elements we talked about that kind of you know creates a Best Picture winner. And you know, in spite of the fact that, I feel like the conversation around How Green With My Valley kind of constantly talks about the fact that it won over Citizen Kane. Yeah, that's what it's, yeah, kind of known for now. But, I mean, like, it is a good movie in its own right. It really no, is. No, it's not Citizen Kane. It's not but, like, but like, it, even like on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 90% fresh. It's, it is a very, it was a very well-received movie and audiences loved it. And I will say, I found it very enjoyable. I watched it, it all is, the way through. In one sitting, which is uh, and Roddy McDonald McDowell is very um, adorable in it. He's I love so... all the scenes where he's going to school and is coming back and like they pick on him. I think it's so sweet. He was in a lot of things, but he was later in the Planet of the Apes movies, yep. which is I think probably what most people know him for. He's yeah. also I mean he is a, literally a child in this movie. Yes, he, I mean what's interesting about this film too is it wasn't supposed to be John Ford directing it. William Wyler was supposed to direct it. He left to make the Little Foxes. But William Wyler is the one who directed uh, Ryan McDowell's screen test for the movie, which won him the part. He also, um, uh, he's in Lassie Come Home. Uh, he he's, he's a voice in A Bug's Life, which he did right before he died. Who is he in Bug's Life? Um, he, uh, TBD. TBD? Oh, I'm so excited. He's uh, like, he's not, but that would be hilarious. Oh, is he the old, um, uh, the, not the praying, praying Mantis, is that what I'm thinking of? Mr. Soil. Who the hell is that? I don't know. He ended up being in a lot of epics later. Like, he was always in the supporting cast of, like, Cleopatra and The Greatest Story Ever Told. And, um, so he was still brought in a lot. Yeah, he acted in a lot. He he made a... He was in The Cat from Outer Space. I feel like that should be mentioned. Because <laughs> this is a great title. He's an, <laughs> o- he's an overboard. You know that Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell? Oh! That was remade with Anna Faris. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. interesting. So, like, he, interesting. he he had a great career. Anyway. Great career. And this was his start. I mean, he was literally in America for two weeks when he was cast in this movie. He had to come over to America because there was so much fighting happening in Europe. Don't you kind of fucking hate him for that, though? I know, right? <laughs> two weeks. Oh, look, I'm the star of a Best Picture film. Good for you. Must be nice. I dropped a lot of F-bombs in this one. I need to... Yeah, the fact that Susan Kane lost just makes us so angry. Where are you? <laughs> I know it does. We're going to get an explicit rating on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will say this. I understand why How Green in the Valley won Best Picture. I don't think it should have won. I do think Citizen Kane should have Citizen won Best Kane Picture. Citizen Kane is, is the best movie that was made this year. For sure it was. Yeah. Yes. Hands down. Um, um, there's 
I mean, there's literally no. No. There's no foxes. Uh, if anything, Little Foxes could have, could have beat it, but it wouldn't. <laughs> I know. Little if Foxes... If was going to beat it, it was going to be Little Foxes. Little Foxes could win. And I, here, look at, oh, my gosh. Everyone should go to his Wikipedia and see his... Uh, uh, he's in the musical Camelot on Broadway. Uh, and there's a picture of him in, in tights. And he looks kind of adorable. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like... I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm into it, but I mean... Oh, I'm into it. He could get it. He could get it. He The tights uh, help. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not the hottest man, but he's a cutie. He's a cutie. You know. Oh, boy. <laughs> what are we getting into next week? Um, <laughs> What are we going to get into? <laughs> what do you feel like getting into? <laughs> you want to talk about rants? <laughs> I don't know. What are you into? Oh, uh, man. Roddy McDowell. <laughs> In Camelot. Um, we're going to deal with some more... Uh, some more William Wyler. Some more William Wyler. This is his first Best Director win and his first Best Picture win. Yes, it of is. Of three. It is. I love William Wyler. I adore him. Um, and this is Mrs. Miniver. Mrs. Miniver. Which is... This is going to be the real start of our World War II discussion. Yes, this is where we're going to really get into it. Um, yeah. I have not seen Mrs. Miniver. I've seen parts of it. <laughs> I've seen parts of it. Uh, so I'm excited to watch it in its entirety. I, it's, I love every movie William Wilder has ever made, so I cannot imagine I will not like this movie, especially with Greer Garson as the lead. <laughs> I mean, like, you guys. What more could you want? Greer Garson. Fabulous. Is, if you don't, know anything about her just type in Greer Garson Oscars and watch her present Oscars on YouTube <laughs> watch her accept her Oscars wow the longest speech. speech the longest speech ever told yes so we'll get into that next week guys we sure will